Running Sentences present Bumbling Humbling Nights Part 7 Peace Treaty? What Peace Treaty? As negotiations for peace began without much success, Marcus and Cassia find themselves distracted and helping with other matters. This is a work of fiction. Any names, characters, businesses, events, and incidences within this story are products of the author's imagination. Any resemblance to real people, living, dead, real events, real incidences, and or any other stories is purely of coincidence. Copyright 2021. Michael Harry. All rights reserved. Marcus was sure that Sir Fixing, who stood in front of him at the front door of this strange house, was an aberration. Negotiations? Peace? The thought that this seemed like it would never happen, yet here was his associate, trying to associate something of some sort, but the Rock Kingdom was there. Or maybe this man was just here for the soldiers, who wanted to get on to their next fight instead of sitting around with rusting skills, not you know, fighting in a war. The one thing that he was sure of, though, was that he was not just going to let Sir Fixing in all on his own. Marcus, there is no point in standing in my way. This is unless you want to get stabbed again. Threatening me. In a place where witches roam and I appear to be on their side. You really were shit at your job, but I'll let you pass if you answer questions. Why am I working for these fools? Well, yes, actually, that was my question. Money and a chance to get somewhere in the world so that I can make more money. Living in this world isn't easy, and it costs more than a pretty coin to keep one's head up. Plus, my wife rather likes living expensively. So, you know, money and, well, power, I guess, as well. Marcus decided to stand to the side. He had more questions. But they could wait for just this second. Peace could be had, but probably not, because he didn't think anyone was going to agree to it. Sir Fixings was slightly surprised when Marcus stood to the side true to his word and stepped in. He looked the place over as he walked further in. The chandelier above him spilled light down onto the welcoming area, which only had one door, and that was in front of them. What an odd place we have here. You have no idea, Mr. Fixings. Follow me. Marcus stepped over to the door and opened it, signaling that his associate should go inside. The man did, but still casting his glances all about and around him, just as he did not appear to feel safe. They came into the room that Marcus figured he might have seen the last of, but alas, it was not to be, as the wall next to the door had buttons, and just like the last time, they were numbered up to 21. Other than that, the room was merely a box with nicely done up walls. Sir Fixings stopped and swung about as Marcus slapped the door shut. Gets a number, any number, up to 21, but not one, which is where we apparently are. What is this? Is it a trap? No, it is a room that moves about the house. It's magic. You'll get used to it, and since you didn't choose... We're going to go with number 11. He pressed the button that signified 11, and the room jerked to life as it lit up, but it did not knock them off the feet. What was that? 
the room moving. Another question for you, by the way. Do you represent the troops outside the Black Knights and probably Castleworthy's men who are here or whatever, or just the kidnapped leaders here, or who do you represent? Does it matter? Well, yes, if you are to get peace, we need to know who is answering to who. If you have power over the leaders or just soldiers, it changes all dynamics, wouldn't you say? Yes, but I wouldn't tell you for that exact reason. You think you can trick me into revealing my hand so soon? Ha! The room jerked to a stop, and Marcus went over towards the door, taking the handle in his hand. He could only shake his head. Everyone claimed to want peace, but they didn't want to move an actual inch to get to it. He opened the door and stepped out first. I told you to get some sleep. The sound of Cassia's voice was not what Marcus wanted to hear upon stepping out of the strange, moving room. Yet here she was, right in front of him, with a finger in his face, pointing very viciously. He couldn't even edge his way around her as Sir Fixings tried to push his way out of this other room. I could not sleep, and the old lady Maureen sent me to fetch this one. There is peace talks to be had, and I wouldn't miss this insanity for anything. You will miss it. What? The troll and Henry have gone missing. Marcus found himself being moved to the side by Sir Fixings, and he looked over at the man, who started whistling and moved quickly on his way by towards the door at the end of the hallway. Last known location? Level 12. Now hurry. He spun about and went back into the room he'd just come from. The room that changes rooms only took a second to get into, and his only surprise was that Cassia was still with him. She looked unhappy with her arms folded across her chest and foot tapping impatiently. He half expected when he stepped into this room to be smacked by some magic to knock him out. That didn't happen as he stepped through the door into an unfamiliar hallway that kept himself tense, just waiting for magic to fall on him. Relax, I'm not going to knock you out. Our two friends really did go missing, and I suspect the Black Knights directed by your friend came in and snatched them away. Their room was up ahead. She moved past him, and he flinched, expecting her anger to come at him. But she moved quickly, heading down the long, oak-looking corridor that was thin and barely had any room for two people to walk side by side. There were many doors here, which he was sure led off to some wild places, but she passed them and then came to a stop around the seventh door, and it was on the left and promptly in, leaving him standing there, still slightly confused. When he came in, he found a ripped-up bedroom that was a complete and utter mess. It looked like a troll had fought hard in there, but had lost that fight, as everything was everywhere, and Marcus had to push a few things aside to get a look at what things were. A bed frame had been snapped, the night table from the looks of it was in a bunch of pieces, and a few claw marks scratched the floors and walls all around a window. Taken for assurances that our side would negotiate in good faith, you think? I don't know. He's your associate. He looked over to see her glaring, and finally figured out why she was mad. He believed that she blamed him for this, and was probably a decent person to blame on this, because, well, 
or no associates always working together when it came to mercenaries. Though, how was he to know that any of these things were going to unfold this way? He shook his head as he stared at the window, one of the few he'd seen in this entire house. It was broken, and shattered remains of a frame with a few shards of glass sticking out from odd angles. There was also some blood near the frame, and it seemed to be headed outwards. But it was dark out there, and he didn't know if he could see anything in this darkened night sky. Um, Cassia, does your magic work on blood? Well, yes, I can do some stuff, but um, anything destructive requires dark magic to do that. I can create... I can light it up, maybe illuminate it. There is some by that window, and if you could illuminate it... Um, we might be able to see the following drops, and we can get an idea of where they went off to. The blood began to glow, and the small speck of something not too far away outside also picked, picked up light. Marcus did his best to clamber through the window without pricking himself on any of the sharp objects poking out of it. Outside, in what appeared to be a backyard, he found a chill, cool night and specks of light coming off the ground. He kept looking for the next one as he started to follow them, but kept his head on a swivel looking out for any danger. Whoever had taken the troll and Henry obviously knew they'd be followed at some point, and they were likely to have set up a trap. Small splotches of blood kept popping up in front of him as they kept moving away from the house and onto a street. They kept going and going, the only way he could really tell anything in the abysmal dark night was that the ground had changed from soft grass and to hard-packed dirt. Cassia was behind him somewhere as he felt her presence, and he was sure her hand was reaching out trying to find him. If you created some light with your magic, would it wash away the effects of the spot? I don't know, but I expect it might. Are you going to be okay, by the way? All you really have is a nightshirt. If we run into someone... A rather large blotch of blood appeared before them, heading off towards an alleyway that was just pitch black. It caused them both to stop and stare. It was not likely a good sign, as it smelled of a trap. That or bad things had happened here. We don't have much time to go back and get weapons now, so we charge on. Shall I go first, and then you can use your magic to surprise them? There was no response, as she was probably nodding yes or no. He didn't try to see which it was as he crept forward to try and see where that next splotch of blood might be. To his surprise, there was no next spot to see. The alleyway was dark and held no clues as to where they might go. Marcus wondered if he should back up and get out of this place, but light pierced the space dully letting them see the forked space up ahead. He glanced back to see Cassia holding her hand up with an orb of light coming from it. He did a double take. She had said she couldn't create things because that was the art of alchemy. So how? She'd lowered her hand to show him the ball glowing in her palm. This is a witch's lost light, a handy orb we carry around in our pockets. We need light. We can simply channel energy, and this orb will react. Simple, right? He nodded, 
a lot of questions going through his mind, and then small reminders to himself that she could read his thoughts. He did his best to shut off further thinking, in case he thought something bad. Uh, maybe we should split up, since there are two paths, and, you know, there are just two of us, and... He took a few steps towards the fork, towards the left. This movement lasted all of a couple of seconds before Cassia grabbed his shirt and began pulling him the other way. They headed down this dirt alleyway on the lookout for any odds and ends. Marcus wondered why Cassia was taking things slow, slowly. Was it traps? Did she suspect something was off about here? Were they in some sort of enemy territory? He could only follow as she took her time, stepping from spot to spot, waving her hand occasionally out in front of her, sent small gusts of wind scurrying away from them. In no time at all, they were at a door, which looked like it wanted to fall off of its mounting points. It was a sheet of rock, which partially explained the problems with the moorings as it pulled on them to try and escape being set up as a door. She pushed it inward, which it went without protest. It was a barn that they would come into, and it was a dark place that only had a few candles smacked about to keep things lit. Aside from that, though, it was empty of any people. It also felt like they'd come in through the back door, which apparently they had. The light from Cassie's orb helped throw more light into this dim room and showed them what was going on. There were a few abandoned drinks on the counter, and a chair had been turned over. What do you think? Were they just here and left? Or is this leftover from the battle and the war that was going on? Or both? They moved through the room, the floorboards creaking and protesting every few steps or so. The large room showed no signs of life. Marcus found himself behind the bar itself, which had plenty of mugs and few kegs or bottles of alcohol. You helped brew alcohol, Cassia. Shouldn't there be a secret hatchway down behind the bar to let us get into where they draw their alcohol from? Depends on the place and if they have room. This place probably has a full door to the basement with a pulley system that brings kegs and drinks up and down. She moved over towards him and was behind the bar in a second, her light casting its way around until it stopped on a door that was hidden among the back counter. She stepped forward and pulled on it, and with a tug it came open. Marcus came over to see an empty space with a rope dangling in front of them. He grabbed a hold of it and began to hoist it until the floor appeared and then settled in place with a satisfying click. She went in and then stood on this platform as he held the rope and then eased his grip to see if it would sink down. It did not, so he too stepped in. Inside of this room space that they had found that was an elevator going up and down, they looked about until they came across a small little lever on the wall on the right-hand side of it. It had a faded word release above it, and when Cassia pushed it from left to right, the floor began to sink downwards in an odd pace. It would settle a minute later or so down with an open beer cellar before them, Cassia held up her light and cast it around this room. There were signs of blood everywhere, but none of it was glowing. Marcus took a quick step out into this beer cellar space and nearly slipped 
but caught himself in the last second. Did your magic wear off? Um, is it only good on um, potentially Henry or the, the troll's blood? Or, or No, it did not. Uh, well, then this might be a hospital then? Or something happened down here. They moved further forward amongst the kegs, which had mostly been broken down and tossed to the side, though a few of them had boards placed on top. Marcus figured that these would make for makeshift tables for whatever madness had occurred down here. As the two moved about, Cassia found some tools off into a corner that were soaked in blood, but she didn't dare touch them from what he could see as she shuddered from the sight. They were certainly operating down here, and then they either escaped or were coming through in here. He pointed towards a hole in the wall that had a tunnel behind it. A string of candles and lanterns went on and on inside this dark and down this space, creating a bit of a vortex to look at. Cassia came over to look. They grabbed the troll and Henry and then took them down here and then through the cave? Why? Old military tactic during a siege? Dig down and then under the walls of your opponent? Then you either pop up on the other side or or blow a hole in the wall, destroy the wall's support, and thus the wall comes crashing down. So they were digging to get past us. Potentially. Or to blow up the whole town. They both had unconsciously begun moving towards the tunnel and had entered. This space was straight, and just kept going and going, with no signs of stopping or coming to an end. Marcus found himself in the lead, walking down this tunnel, questioning why he was in the lead, since not that long ago she had protested him being there with no weapons. He kept leading the way, hoping for nothing to pop up, since the tunnel was straight and narrow, with well-defined walls. His wish seemed to have been granted, as nothing popped up. The only thing to do was plod forward, hoping that this would all come to an end soon. It did. Ah, oh, well, it did, and it didn't. It took a little while longer before the tunnel popped upwards into a pretty big tent that had much dirt piled around the sides of this hole in the ground. There was still no one around when Marcus led the way out, and because there was so little light, Cassie had fetched her orb witch's lost light thing once again, and with this light source, they moved about this tent with careful steps. Neither wanted to make any noise and arouse anyone's attention to their being there. This effort was rewarded as they passed by a sleeping guard nestled on a pile of dirt. Marcus wondered if he should grab the man's weapon, felt like doing so would, would be too much and would put them at risk, so he kept moving towards the slit entrance in the tent wall. Outside, they found themselves back in the tent city that the Black Knights were using as a camp. And here, to their surprise, they found a glowing splotch on the ground leading off towards the right. Marcus could see several other spots as it made its way down the row of tents. Well, I think we know where we need to go then. She was already heading off towards that direction, and he hesitated as he looked around and spotted the big tent again. It was almost like it had some sort of draw on him. Maybe there was evidence up there, or maybe there was nothing. But he 
wondered if maybe, perhaps, there could be something found up there that would help negotiate this peace. But he decided to follow Cassia for a while, trying to come up with a plan or distraction that might allow him to run up there to fetch stuff after, maybe after all of this was done, or maybe during, or, well, whenever. There were a few guards patrolling around the place who just kept walking. Many seemed to be not doing nothing but walking in an nonchalant manner about. Cassia seemed to not be taking any chances and kept them hidden in the shadows of the tents to avoid any contact whatsoever. The end of the splotches came at one such tent and one that had two guards in front of it. Marcus and Cassia both spotted them down the long row of tents and hid themselves by going behind the row that was in an in-between area where tent met the back of another tent, but they were not placed that close together, so there was a sort of space that one could walk on. Cassia was ahead of him, checking to see if the spots continued for a while after this tent, while Marcus stopped at the tent itself with the guards. She soon came back, shaking her head now. He decided to keep his voice low as she crouched down next to him and looked about. What do you want to do? We can try in the front or sneak under here. The guards up front might be our best way in. But if we make any noise, we will draw attention and we don't want that. We can't go under the tent. I wouldn't be able to react if magic is needed while stuck between the tent wall and outside. They lapsed into silence with Marcus looking away towards the big tent far off. Well, it was an idea coming to his head, but one that Cassia was probably not going to like one bit. I have no weapons and am unable to cast any magic, so all I'm good for right now is as a distraction, I think. Marcus? And I think I need to make a good run right about now. He'd stood up and run to the front of the tent, smacking into the guard nearest to him, then spinning about and pointing towards the other. Oh, look! The guards can't catch a simple invader who has been terrorizing the camp for the past day or two. Or, well, I've forgotten how many days I've been here. Worst guards ever! The guard on the other side grabbed his sword, but Marcus had already begun to sprint off, hoping that things would work out somewhat well with them chasing him. The darkness had begun to fade in the sky as Marcus ran down the tent rows, with his mind set on going for the big tent. He was willing to change his route as he glanced behind him to see that he'd gathered at least five followers, and there were probably more waiting up ahead. To this, he veered off to his right. The best plan was to not know where one was going, even if it did lead to bad things happening. He just hoped that Cassia had found the troll and Henry in good shape and got them free. He veered to his left to head back towards the big tent again. In a short time of going this way and that, he'd arrived at this big tent area, where there were a few guards waiting for him at the entrance to the ground that divided the big tent from the regular ones. And he did his best to dodge around them all, the pain from his side making itself known again, and he was sure that the magic that had been placed on it was beginning to wear off, and so too was his adrenaline. The guards, however, weren't putting up much effort at all, which was weird, 
since it seemed like he got around these ones and then the last one with little effort as he made his way to the entrance of this big, huge tent. It was like he was being invited in, which he did not like the idea of. In a flash, though, he found himself inside this tent, and in a room that would be considered a throne room. It had plenty of room for people and a chair at the end of it, so throne room it was, even if it was a church or something else. He didn't have time and looked to his left and then right. Each had a slit in the tent flaps, though the one on the right seemed to be closed. He also noted that there appeared to be a very godlike figure hung up and weird number things on the psalm next to that near the back of this place and near the chair. It was not a throne room, he decided, but something very religious, and he did not want to know any more about it, so he charged off to his right. He chose this direction because it was a closed off from viewing, and when something was closed, well, didn't one have to go and see what was what? A man in fancy robes jumped up from his desk when Marcus burst into the room, looking wild-eyed and trying to figure out where he was. There was an air of religion to this room, and Marcus figured that he'd gone the wrong way. Who are you? Uh, Marcus, bumbling knight, and arch-nemesis of this silly war. Who are you? I am the guiding light of the Black Knights. They are my flock, and I shall lead them to hunt the injustices of the world and the witches. Oh, you're a preacher. No wonder this has a silly feel to it all. Well, your god or gods suck. Do you know the way to your big boss's office? Uh, is it back that way? Or do I have to cut a way through to another hallway? My gods do not suck. They're powerful. They tell us how to make money and invest it. Plus how to make money from money. I will not listen to you besmirch the name of our righteous ones. Guards! Marcus was already out of the room. His sprint from one side to the other of this prayer room, or religious church area, He's tried to assign names to it, but did not really think about it as he paused in the middle of the room when a guard came rushing in. The man stopped when he saw Marcus and looked disgusted upon seeing him. Then this guard, as promptly as he'd appeared, turned around and was gone again. Marcus looked about trying to make sure that that was what had happened. And then, since it had happened, he put it aside from his mind and went on his merry way towards the left side of this church room. A hallway greeted him on the other side of this tent flap, which was rather interesting. He'd never seen a fancy tent with so many hallways before, and it seemed like the last thing one would want in a tent that had many walls. Yet here he was, rushing past these walls and flaps that led to other rooms and spaces the thought occurred to him that this tent was probably just one large room, and then the walls were put up later inside, but still, it seemed rather silly to have all of this space cut up into different sections. He slowed his run since no one was chasing him, and took a moment to catch his breath. There was a flap to his left this time, and strange cackling noises coming from it. This was too curious to not go see, since everything had gone so well so far, and what harm would be one more chaotic stop in his trip. The figure of a man staring into a mirror, pointing his sword at this mirror, greeted Marcus. There was also the smell of burnt flesh sitting in the air, and the man had plenty of blackened and burnt-looking skin to go with that smell. 
Just you wait, humbling, bumbling night, Marcus. I'll get my hands on you and then stab you until I can stab no more. Well, that's a bit cliche. The man, who had been his torturer, spun about to face Marcus, losing his grip on his weapon. You! Still running on cliches? Oh well. You wouldn't happen to know where your king's office is, would you? I need to get there to steal everything I can lay my hands on. The man was awkwardly trying to reach down for his sword, which Marcus moved over and stepped on to keep it out of his grasp. The injuries on the torturer, known as Cook, seemed to have taken a toll on the man, who struggled with every move. Let me get my revenge! Uh, no thanks. Besides, you were the one who tortured me. Generally, I get to have my revenge on you before you can get your revenge on me. The man rose up, snorting mad and angry, white eyes flashing in fury. You did all of this to me as revenge. Now I get revenge for your revenge. The man began lurching away and heading off towards a rack of weapons that were conveniently stashed in the back of this room, and to which Marcus did not wait around to see what would happen or what was picked up to be used against him. He slid his foot under the sword that he'd stepped on and slightly tossed it up, a move that saw the blade come a few feet up and then fall back down, with Marcus jumping back just to be safe and not stab himself. And with that failure, he reached down, grabbed the blade, and then hightailed it out of there. The tent wall across from the room that he'd just exited, and where Marcus had found his torturer, did not appear to have a flap and the nearest opening seemed to be about 40 feet away in either direction. And not wanting to wait around at all, he used his new weapon as he sliced the wall and hacked it into bits, and hacked at it a bit further, since it was a heavy canvas material, and until eventually an opening appeared and allowed him to jump through, and just in time, as a sword snicked its way just past his cheek, with a tumble, Marcus rolled on the grass floor and sprang back to his feet. Beside him was a thick knife that had been thrown. He snatched it out of the ground where it had stuck and turned to see the man who had tortured him, this man, this torturer, this idiot cook, hacking away at the canvas wall to give him more room to get through. The axe he was using was quite handy at this, and there was soon a rather nice-sized hole which Marcus could spy the man through. To this, Marcus decided to raise his new dagger and sword-like thing and pointed it at Cook, hoping that perhaps this, too, might cause a flash of light and make the man disappear. It was worth a try, right? And, well, he knew nothing was going to happen, but it could scare the man into running away, perhaps, and, well, wouldn't that just be lovely? The blade stayed in his hand, not doing anything other than pointing towards the hole in the tent wall. A hole that was now curiously empty of anyone. Marcus did not waste his time trying to see if that torturer cook was still there as he headed across this room of chairs. Here, he decided, was the throne room, and to his left was another tent flap. Finally, after running all around this place, he found himself in an office that was very kingly. Perhaps. One that looked regal enough for a king, or maybe it was a general's office. Either way, evidence of what was going on might be here. 
He's made his way around the desk and began digging through the many, many rolled up papers, reading them quickly, and then when they seemed unimportant, tossing them to the side and away from him. Time steadily ticked by as he dug deeper and deeper through these files. He tore out the shelves of the desk, looking for anything, a trap, a secret door, anything that would make a book drop out, or maybe a secret hidden file. But there was nada. The king's papers was all about trade and moving goods from one location to another. There was no mention of witches, or black knights, or castleworthy for that matter. Shit, 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 shit. I need to find a general and perhaps make them talk, or maybe get their papers. He moved to the tent doorway, furious with himself for having wasted so much time in here. When he got out, there in his way stood the man who tortured him, Cook. Trembling with rage, and probably from his injuries, Marcus felt the pangs of his own pain throbbing through his side and down through his finger. You Look, we both know this isn't going to end well. I'm in much better shape than you are. So let's claim it was a draw and that you drew deep, deep blood on me and you burned me early and you did burn me earlier or yesterday. Or well, I've lost track of time, so it was all, you know, you did hurt me and and, and you destroyed me, maybe. You the trembling from his torturer seemed to raise to take over the whole man's body. It just kept going and going, shaking away. Me, yes, me. What about me? Are you going to show me how you've got a general's orders to make this war happen, or are you just going to shake and tremble and threaten me? The sword in the man's hands lowered slightly, so it was pointing more towards the ground. I did my job, and this is what I get for it. I didn't sign up to be burnt. I am Cook Henry the Torturer, who gets confessions for the Black Knight. And this is how they treat me, like dirt, like something be thrown to the side once I have failed slightly. Uh, that sounds like you have a fight with your former friends, and not me. But you should confront your co-workers first, and not me. Uh, I mean, you do. I did. I may have accidentally burnt you in return for trying to get revenge, but it, it's, it's not really my fault. It was magic, maybe. His words, however, brought the sword back up, but the pain look on Cook's face gave way to anguish, and then he simply fell over. Marcus moved over to the mound to see if he was all right. Then the rising and falling of Cook's chest told him he was at least breathing. Um, do you want me to go find someone to come help you? Help me to a doctor, and as a result I will drop all of this. Torn for a second, Marcus, to his own surprise, leaned over and helped the man get up. Then, putting his arm around the man's waist, hurried him out. Through a maze of tent hallways, they went, with the man Cook directing him, who did his best to hold the man up while trying not to touch him much. The flakes of skin were not the problem, though they were gross-feeling, and Marcus did not like them. It was that every single bump into the man caused quite a bit of facial contortion from pain from Cook. There was also a lot of 
lip biting from this torturer, and, well, he just didn't want to hurt him. Despite what he had done to him, he didn't really like hurting people. It just didn't feel right. Anyway, so they went, slowly, but with some speed, towards wherever Cook was directing them. Through one last tent flap, they found a medical area with a doctor and a wooden table. The doctor glanced up at the two and shook his head no. Mr. Cook, I told you not to move about. You did not listen to me, and now you've done some damage to your body. Thank you for bringing him back, by the way, sir. Ah, well, he was threatening me with the sword, and I figured the least I could do was to get him here after he fell over on his own. Oh, are you the man who did this to him, then? He was babbling about getting revenge when he first came in here on his own power. Mm, I might be, yes. Um, anyway, uh, could you direct me to the nearest general's office? I need to speak to one of them, or any of them, or all of them, right about now. The doctor shrugged as he watched Cook limp his way over towards the table and then crawl on top of it. There would be one around here. Why? To steal all of their documents and to stop a stupid war. Marcus turned and was back out of the medical area. The hallway was still a maze of tent flaps that just went onward and Marcus stopped and stared at them once he left this medical area. There was only one thing to do. Check him. He rushed his way from tent doorway to the next, looking for any official-looking office. He found plenty that looked like offices, but were empty of any papers or signs of life. But he did finally find one after some searching, with a man inside and plenty of papers on a desk. This man looked up when Marcus burst into the room, trying to point both of the swords he had on him at this general, who he hoped was a general. And this general, in his fancy uniform of gold and black with plenty of fluffy frills that sat on his shoulders in the form of some feathers, glared up. The look was not a good one on this man, but maybe he was a general with an eclectic style, and maybe that's just the uniform the Black Knights made their people wear. Although, he hadn't seen it on anybody else, so maybe not. Marcus couldn't decide if this was the case or not, and the man sat back in his chair and pulled out a pipe. And you are, sir? Um, bumbling Knight Marcus, who... Are you Tartar Bannister, general in charge of the third division of the Knights of the Roundish Table for the Black Knights? We already have one of your types, a bumbling knight, I believe. Why do we need another? Ah, uh, you don't. I'm working with the witches on the other side of things, trying to put a stop to this mad war. What doesn't make a lick of sense? Oh, are you now? Yeah. So if you could hand over any papers that might bring a stop to all of this, it would be appreciated. Plus, it won't have to stab you. The general did his best to hide a small grin by putting his hand over his mouth and making sure that his pipe was lit, and then looking over at his desk. Papers, papers. Why would I have put these good papers to give to you? Marcus continued to hold both swords, unsure of why this was going so easily. The general then came up with two papers and a book, and then idly threw them at Marcus's feet. 
I believe that should be all that you need. Now go away. I have a slipping morale, a missing king, a missing general, and one of you went off to negotiate their return. Without a war, this army has no stomach to fight. So either stab me or leave me in hellish papers to try and get what's needed done. Margus carefully knelt down to pick up the items that had been dropped at his feet, all while also carefully keeping an eye on the man. Since the man did nothing more to do anything to him, he simply grabbed these documents and fled. With his sword and papers plus book in hand, Marcus managed to get out of the maze of the big tent. He found himself out on the grounds of this tent city looking wildly around. He did not know where he should be going or where he might find Cassia or anyone for that matter. But he also figured that standing around awkwardly wasn't going to solve that problem. So instead of standing at the big tent entrance area, he hurried his way onward. The search for the tent that had a hole in the ground in it was not going well. Marcus flitted about the place looking for any soldier who might direct him in the right direction. But whenever he ran into one, they all ran away the second he took a step near them, and when they saw him. His only hope was to spot some, now that the sun was up in the mid-sky, an afternoon sun perhaps. He kept going and going and going, searching for a tent with a hole in it in the ground, a hole in the ground inside of it. A flash of light, or a rather nice-looking explosion, were all it took to draw his attention and stop him, to a few tents a couple of rows away from where he was. Marcus found himself changing direction and began heading towards this chaos. When he popped out near this fiery explosion and looked over, he could clearly see Cassia doing her best to hold back a bunch of soldiers who were doing their best not to get burnt by her magic. Oh, there you are. Uh, is this the way out? But a whoosh of magic sparking through the air, it seemed that neither side noticed that someone was shouting at them. Marcus shook his head as he approached the best he could, trying to keep out of being caught up in the blast of magic. Though Cassia was throwing magic every which way she could, and that included towards him, as she didn't notice who he was and sent a blast his way just to keep him away. All Marcus could do was jump out to the side between two tents and hold himself downward and to check over the papers, which had caught a little bit of fire, so he rushed to put them out. He waited for a couple of minutes as the loud wishes came to a stop finally, and he wondered if it was okay to peek out from his hiding spot. A glance upwards told him that Cassia was standing there, that had avoided her magic. She seemed lost in fury, and her eyes had glazed over. He jumped up and grabbed a hold of her before she could begin waving her hands around again. Whoa, 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 Cassia, Cassia, listen to me. You need to come back down from your anger. The soldiers have all run away. She slowly came back, her glazed-eyed look melting away as she blinked and then realized that Marcus was holding her. She stepped away a second later. Where did you go? Evidence to help the negotiation. He pointed towards the slightly burnt pieces of paper in the book that he jumped on to make sure that they weren't going to go up in flames. She, on the other hand, flinched at the sight of the singed pieces. Uh... 
Yeah, you threw magic at me, and those papers caught fire as a result. But I saved it, and we're all okay now. Did you get to the troll and Henry? She signaled for him to follow her. He limped his way to the tent with a hole in the ground. It was exactly as they'd left it, which was good, because no one had done anything to it as a result. I told them to head down the tunnel and into safety, and I found Henry and a troll chained to another young boy who Aunt Henry insisted should come with us, said he knew him or something like that. Oh, well, that might be Timothy, who works for uh, the Bumbling Knights as a page boy. Not surprising as the Black Knights did take him to keep me working for them. Not a good that did, though. She looked at him curiously, and he tried to put on a smile to project that everything was going well. But his side was hurt and causing him to limp. He was also hungry, and he wasn't sure how much longer he'd be able to keep standing around as exhaustion felt ready to take over and send him face first into the dirt. Marcus had then hurried into the tunnel, hoping to be able to keep himself moving in case he really did run out of any energy, and then came to a stop a few feet inside and turned to Cassia, who had followed him in, and she came to a stop when she saw him stop. Do you still have energy to cast magic? Uh, yes, some. Why? He pointed at the hole, or maybe towards it. You probably should close this up, and I figured that magic might be the most effective way, unless you want me to go find something to fill it with. What you need to do, sir, is start walking. I can feel that you don't have the energy for such nonsense to go running about again. Now, you do have those papers, right? He held them up, thanking himself for absentmindedly doing so as she pointed him off down the tunnel. Marcus nodded and turned as he felt the ground begin to rumble under his feet. Hurrying along the best he could, Marcus felt like he was at the end of everything, yet the tunnel kept going and going with little signs to an exit. A firm hand was on his back and made him jump as he looked back to see Cassia pushing him forward. I can't give you any energy as I don't know that magic, but I can help you along, and would you please listen to me next time? If you'd gotten some sleep, we wouldn't be in such a mess. No, we would still be in a mess, but probably still be going down this tunnel and dealing with the fallout from all of this. Her hand moved away from his back, and he looked over again to see that she had stopped. She had a curious look on her face, like something was not right with what he'd said. Marcus slowed and then stopped, though he hadn't been going fast in the first place. She crossed her arms in front of her as she took a couple steps to catch up to him. I get the feeling that something is off about you, Marcus. Oh, like what? I don't know, but we better keep going, and it will come to me soon, I think. Marcus began his slow trek back down the tunnel, casting glances over his shoulder. It wasn't that he held his past up to some great secret, though usually it was only when someone asked him about it that he talked about it. They might not believe him, but he always said his part and let them make their own minds over whether it was true or not. With the last dregs of energy, they emerged from the tunnel and into the beer cellar that it felt like they'd left it ages ago. Marcus promptly fell down onto the ground to sit and rest with Cassia doing likewise on the opposite side of the tunnel entrance. He listened to her sigh with 
and then turned his attention to the beer cellar, which looked like it had been cleaned up. Marcus tried to get up so that he could look further around, but his muscles firmly told him that no, that was not going to be happening, and so he moved about an inch. Ow, ow, ow. Why don't you have any of your energy potions lying about? You know, like the one you gave me back on the boat. Why wouldn't you bring those with you? It's heavy to carry around a chest of vials. Ah, that's it. Now I get it. You don't talk right. Uh, what? What felt off about you? It's you. I don't think you belong to this timeline, do you? End of part seven. Thank you for listening.